I'm Jack Bailey. Welcome to the Blue Line Report. So happy to have you this week. Uh, we have a very exciting episode this week. Um, we're going to be joined uh, by from TSN 1260 and the host of the other Connor podcast, uh, Connor Halley. How's it going? Good, Jack. Thanks a lot for having me on today. Yeah, no, no worries. Thank you so much for coming on. So Glad to do it. And I, I mean, I, I know we talk a lot about the Oilers out here and I know there's a whole lot to talk about. It's going to be a very interesting off season. So uh, happy to do it today and uh, talk some Oilers with you. Yeah. So uh, if you've been living under a rock for the past few weeks, it's been a, uh, it's been a rough past week and two weeks and a bit for the Edmonton Oilers, obviously being swept by the Winnipeg Jets in the first round. So we're going to touch a little bit on that. I mean, we'll try to try to keep it a little lighthearted so we don't have to dwell on that awful feeling. I know my co-host Owen who's unfortunately not here to do this interview because I'm sure he would have loved to have been here. Um, I know he's kind of heartbroken, so we'll kind of try to keep it more lighthearted. Uh, but as a as a hockey fan and as an Oilers fan, what positives can you take away from this series? You know what, uh, Jack? There's a lot of positives I think you can take away from this one. And, you know, right now Oilers fans don't want to hear that because they're so ticked off, you know, how that went. But I think when you look at this series, uh, the Oilers were, you know, leading for the majority of the games here and uh, just kind of lapses in in throughout the process of a game and, and, you know, leading to overtime where they just didn't seem to have that, uh, that, that ability to score that final goal where the Winnipeg Jets were able to. But I think when you look at the Oilers, uh, defensively on the blue line, a few guys stepped up. Darnell Nurse this year, I mean, I don't know yeah. if we thought he had that in him. I mean, I don't know if he is a number one defenseman, but he played like a number one defenseman this year. Um, you know, Caleb Jones, Ethan Bear, some young blue liners started to step up. We saw Evan Bouchard get into the lineup a little bit this year. Looks like you got some potential with Evan Bouchard. Uh, up front, Jesse Pugliarvi. I mean, a year ago, we didn't know if this guy would even play for the Oilers organization let alone get to that top line and play right wing with Connor McDavid. So he was another huge plus going forward. And that was a big question because we we knew that Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid could play together. But at the same time, we also know that they're going to be a stronger team when you can put those guys apart and let them anchor their own lines. We saw Leon Dreisaitl in the past do it with Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Kyler Yamamoto, but we didn't really have that person who could complement Connor McDavid throughout a full season. And Jesse Pugliarvi looks like he's able to do that. I think he still has to learn to think the game just a little bit better, but the natural instincts are there. The skills are there. He fights. It looks like you've got someone that can play with Connor McDavid. Now you just got to address that left wing position. So I think there were some positives. Um, when you look at that series, obviously a sweep doesn't sound good, but game one, it was a four, one final two empty netters. So really when it comes down to it, it was a one goal game, the three yeah. overtime losses, all one goal game. So you know, it, it doesn't look good, and, and I understand that, but I think that when you look at it a little bit closer, the series was close. They just got to kind of develop that killer instinct and find ways to uh, to put in that big goal when you need it. And going into this offseason, the Oilers have a lot of cap space with two of the best young players in the world. So, you know, right now, we we did a lot of talking people off the ledge during our show the last couple of days here because, you know, obviously it's a passionate fan base and people are going to be pretty upset by it. But when you look at a big picture, the Oilers are, are in a good situation. Yeah, uh, I mean, obviously for nothing, you never want to see that uh, from any team. But yeah, I, I, you touched on it perfectly that all the games were relatively fairly close, three of them going to overtime. So, you know, as soon as it goes to overtime, it could go either way. And I, I think the outside look of a lot of people just not in the Oilers realm 24-7 uh, is it's another year wasted off of Connor McDavid. Do you necessarily look at look at it like that or do you think it's a developmental year or what do you, you how know do you what 
I, I think that I think that's totally fair. I think that's a very fair criticism because you have seen some players in the NHL, uh, you know, whether it's Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves with the Chicago Blackhawks or Malkin and Crosby with the Penguins. I mean, they were finding ways to win Stanley Cups earlier on in their career, but it's not always going to be like that. I think, you know, you look at the Tampa Bay Lightning with Steve Stamkos and the Kucherov. I mean, Hedman it took time for those guys to win. Uh, they were swept by the Columbus Blue Jackets just a couple of years ago, right? So, you know, it happens that way sometimes. Alexander Ovechkin, I think, is another example of that. It's not always going to be easy, but when when you look at it, Connor McDavid, he's still only 24, and he's still got probably, you know, with his skill set and ability, eight to ten more years of his prime, the, the window to win. So I think that, you know, anytime a superstar like that has a year go by and he's eliminated in four games, that's going to be the natural rumblings. Uh, we hear it, you know, coming from out east a lot of time they're wasting his, his career out in Edmonton but I I genuinely don't think he sees it that way I mean I think this guy's a competitor and knows that you have to build these things up and you know when you look at the Oilers group as a whole going forward there are some positives we, we kind of talked about you know on from what we saw this year but I mean looking just in the uh, prospect pool you got Dylan Holloway who's looks like he could be a player um Raphael Lavoie a guy who played in Bakersfield played pretty well uh, Ryan McLeod made the jump up on the blue line. You've got Evan Bouchard, like I said, but Philip Broberg, uh, Tomorikov, a guy who's, you know, maybe not quite well known to the hockey world, but you know, in Oilers circles, I think there's a lot of uh, upside for him. He suffered an injury and kind of delayed his, his progression this year, but you know, next year there's, there's a guy you might want to watch out for. So yeah, I, I get that, that kind of the narrative that people say they're, they're wasting away and, you know, another missed opportunity. But I think there's a lot of opportunities still to come for this guy. So I don't put too much stock into it. It's not going to worry me. Like I said, there's been other guys, other superstars around the NHL who I'm sure have had that same narrative about their careers early on. And they found ways to eventually get it done. And, you know, for Oilers Nation and the people out here, I, I hope it happens sooner than later, because uh, if there's a fan base that probably deserves it after all they've gone through uh the Oilers are one of them yeah um so obviously very unfortunate to be swept or even eliminated in the first round especially when uh, a lot of people including myself thought they could make a big run to potentially be the best team in this north division so very unlike disappointing for a lot of fans uh, but a team that isn't doing awful in the playoffs is the Bakersfield Condors, and they're actually doing pretty well this uh, this year in the playoffs. Do you focus anything on that, or is that just a, hey, it's great, but I, yeah, it's whatever. <laughs> you know what? We, we try to focus on it a little bit, and, you know, we'll try to get uh, their head coach, Jay Woodcroft, on the station every once in a while. He, he's a really great interview. If you can ever try to get him on the podcast, I highly recommend it. Uh, great guy. But yeah, absolutely. Oilers fans definitely watch out for uh, what's going on down on the farm. Like I mentioned, uh, Raphael Lavoie, that's a second round pick a couple of years ago. I believe he played for Team Canada at the World Junior. So you're watching that. Um, Tyler Benson, another second round pick. Cooper Marodi. Uh, there are some guys that might make that leap to the Oilers in the next couple of years. Obviously, goaltender Sco uh, Stuart Skinner is somebody that a lot of Oilers fans are hoping pans out because, uh, you know, they, they do need that long-term solution between the pipes. You can't be banking on a 39-year-old forever. So I think there is a lot of interest in the Bakersfield Condors. But the one thing that we've learned out in Edmonton, uh, and especially with your AHL affiliates, it's not always about winning, right? You want a program that develops your prospects. And the guys that have come out of Bakersfield the last few years, uh, Kyler Yamamoto, obviously Evan Bouchard, uh, the two young defensemen, Ethan Bear and Caleb Jones, they've come to the NHL and they seem NHL ready. So Oilers fans are really excited about that aspect of it. Like where you can see uh, these guys come to the NHL, they're ready. They've been developed. They did their time on the farm and they're ready to go when they make it to the show. But yeah, 
at, at the same time, we're, we're definitely watching them. I, I see what's happening down uh, against the, is it the Henderson Silver Knights? Uh, I believe so, yeah. The, the Condors tied up the series last night. Uh, yeah, always good to see success there. And I think that it also is important. Like, that, that does matter. You want to have that winning culture where guys are used to winning championships or going to the playoffs, playing that high level. Uh, I'm fortunate to work with uh, Jason Strudwick, a former NHLer, and, you know, he he always talks about it. You get to the playoffs and it ramps up. The, you know, the guys who are your your best players step it up. The guys who are your second, third, fourth liners, they all step it up. The speed picks up. So for the guys in the system, I think it's really good to uh, to learn that and, and get used to that intensity and the upkick that you see in the playoffs. And if they can pick up a championship on the way, that's <laughs> always nice too. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't really want to dwell on the uh, the Oilers series because I think for the sanity of most Oilers fans listening right now, they've done enough of that in the past week and just want to look to the future. So I think we should do that in the offseason. Now, Ken Holland, you touched on before we started this interview, has a very busy, busy offseason in front of him. What is priority number one for Ken Holland? What is the thing that must be done before January 1st? Well, Jack, if I can, if I can just dwell on the past just for one minute longer, I, I, I want to say the, the Winnipeg Jets, like they did such a good job and that's a, a veteran team. They, they've been in the playoffs the last four years. Like when I talk about getting, you know, used to that upkick and tempo, they were there, they were ready for that. And uh, they, their ability to kind of roll out three lines, like, you know, Kyle Connor's out there all of a sudden, and then it's uh, Cobb and then it's, you know, Lowry, like they, they just have that depth. And uh, to, to kind of mold that into my answer here, I think that's what the Oilers need to look for in free agency. And obviously, you know, I'll start at the back and move forward uh, between the pipes. You've, you've liked what Mike Smith has done, but you do have to factor in age and, and fatigue and things like that. And, and remember that this year was a 56 game season. So uh, if next year goes back to the normal format, you're playing 82 games. There's no way you're going to get Mike Smith to play 75% of those games, right? He's going to need a competent backup. And I think the Oilers are going to do all that they can to move on from Miko Koskinen. I don't know if that's a trade. I don't know if that's a buyout. I don't know if that's burying him in the AHL. I don't even know if you want to do that because then you're taking time away from a guy like Stuart Skinner or um, Olivier Rodrigue. But I think you want to find a competent backup goalie who can, uh, you know, maybe even push Mike Smith a little bit. That would be a priority for me. On the blue line, I think they're probably okay. And a lot of it weighs into uh, what happens with Oscar Clefbaum. He had the shoulder surgery and, you know, they're waiting to see what happens there with him. If he's able to come back, you know, and you're able to re-sign Adam Larson, you might be able to just leave your defense alone there. There's some people out here that want to see Tyson Berry re-signed. And uh, obviously the contract cost is going to be the big thing there, but I, I'm on that. I'm on that bandwagon too. I think if you can keep Tyson Berry, you just got a loaded group. And it's another reason not to rush Evan Bouchard. And up front, uh, a left winger for Connor McDavid's got to be right up there on the, the priority list. I know, you know, we've had a lot of people kind of throw out the name Thomas Tatar on a one-year deal. If he'd be willing, a guy who can help out five on five and, you know, might be a really good complimentary piece for Jesse Pugliarvi and Connor McDavid. And then I, I think just uh, guys who can contribute five on five up front. Uh, the Oilers got a first-hand dose of that against the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, when Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl left the ice, it was almost as if you know it tilted, and the Jets could just roll out anyone, and they were gonna you know have the upper hand, with the exception of a couple shifts, you know here and there. Ryan Nugent Hopkins had a couple good shifts, but I think the Oilers learned a lot from that series against the Jets, and Ken Holland probably did too, thinking I gotta add some more up front, and once we get into the playoffs, it's a totally different game. We need more balance, we need more depth, and uh, yeah, this year the Oilers didn't really have that. They were able to to kind of slide by in the regular season with McDavid and Drysdale carrying the bulk of the load. But 
I don't quote me on this. I believe their third and fourth score, our highest scores were defense with Darnell Nurse and um, Tyson so. Berry. So they, they just need more help up front. It, you know, you can't just count on those two guys to do all the work, especially in the playoffs. Yeah, like definitely depth has to be a major focus with uh, the difference between McDavid being the first uh, point, the best point scorer in, for forwards on the Oilers and uh, Nuge third best uh, point scorer for forwards being 70 points. That's a little crazy. <laughs> you need a bit more of that depth. And I think that really showed in that, in the series of like Winnipeg, like you touched on it, as soon as McDavid and Drysaddle left the ice, it was completely tilted. And Winnipeg did a fairly great job of shutting down those two electric players. I think a good example of what Edmonton could try to strive for is what's happening over in the Montreal Toronto series. Montreal has completely shut down that Matthews Marner line. They have Matthews Marner Hyman. They have like two goals all series, but like that Nylander and the uh, Spezza line, Spezza line's been crazy. Uh, but like all the other three lines are rolling and they're getting all the bunk, the, the major of the goals. And I think that's what Edmonton has to strive for. If they somehow shut down the, the best player in, on the planet, you need to have that secondary scoring that, hey, even if he does get shut down, we can still win. Because, like, one of the stats I always look back on when I'm uh, when I'm teasing my good friend Owen, uh, he's an Oilers fan, by the way, um, when I'm teasing him about depth is, like, the Oilers, anytime Dry Saddle and McDavid don't get a point, they've won, like, three games in the last five years that, like, they haven't gotten a point. So I think depth is a really big point. Another point you touched on was Adam Larson being re-signed. Uh, now, you, you you sounded like it's almost a guarantee that he's going to be re-signed. So is that your stance? Yeah, I think so. Just very quickly, too. You, you That was a great stat you had there with the 70-point uh, disparity between Nuge and uh, Connor McDavid. Uh, for Nuge and Hopkins, 35 points this season. 20 of those came in the uh, power play, playing with McDavid and dry title. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, regular season, he played 52 games. He had 15 points, five on five. That's that's just not good enough. Not like good that enough. that is that's enough to sink your team. It was evident in the playoffs. He had the two, the goal and the assist in Game Four, which you know happy to see that. Good to see that, but uh, just not good enough. And and you nailed it with that Maple Leafs uh, Canadian series. That that's what winning teams have, and the Oilers don't have that, and that's why they're golfing right now instead of uh, waiting for the next opponent. Uh, Adam Larson, yeah, I think you can pretty much lock it in there, and just you know knowing what we know about him, he likes it here in Edmonton. Um, he's played well. The you know, really take away the first five games of the season. He was really good after that. Like he struggled. Uh, Oilers fans are not going to forget the pinch he had in game one. It, yeah. It looked like a uh, phantom hockey out there. Like it was just a really bad read. And uh, he, you know, he, he got kind of roasted for that on social media and in the media. But after that, he really solidified his game and, and went back to that player that they first got when they traded Taylor Hall for him. So yeah, I think you're going to have to definitely see that. I don't know if he gets a raise, but I think the Oilers are going to lock something in for, four years, maybe three and a half, four million, something like that. And I think that's a pretty good deal for Larson. Gives him a little bit of stability, keeps him here. And I think he recognizes what could be here and, you know, the potential. If you're going to sign anywhere, obviously nothing's certain, but, you know, when you can play in a team with a team that has McDavid and Jaius out of the likes of those, obviously the cap space that they have, I think it's a good fit for both sides. And I would expect that deal to come down, uh, you know, in the next little while here. So the back half of the series, back half of the uh, series between the Jets and the Oilers, uh, the Oilers went up big, or not necessarily big, but went up with leads, and then they blew it in the later half of the games. Do you think? What do you think Edmonton needs to do to start closing out 
start closing out games. Uh, well, Josh Archibald needs to not run at guys' knees. <laughs> um, you know, you're up four one in that game midway through the third period. Like that's that's a game you just can't lose. And it's funny because we actually commended the Oilers a lot this year of getting that one goal lead and then just shutting it down. Like they did a really good job of that in the regular season. And uh, I know some people say, you know, in a four one game, it's not just one play, but I think the Winnipeg Jets were out of that game. Like they, they were down and out and all of a sudden you gave them a spark. And if that was a holding penalty, you know, maybe it's not that big of a deal, but Josh Archibald lowers his shoulder into a six foot seven guy and takes it like right into the knee or the fibula. That's intent to injure. That's a really dirty play. I didn't like it at the time. I don't like it now. And we had some people trying to defend it here in town and I just didn't get it. Like he's going out there. He's trying to, Uh, get payback for a high stick when he didn't need to. The Oilers easily could have walked out of that game with a 4-1 victory, confidence sky high. The Jets are probably thinking like, okay, we, you know, we poked the bear. McDavid and Dry settled three points in that game. We're in trouble. But instead, they, he provided that spark for the Jets to get back into that game. So that was a huge turning point. Uh, They got to eliminate the mental errors. That's definitely one of them. And you know what? It's, it's tough for me to say because during the, the regular season, like I said, they did a really good job of shutting them down those leads. I think it's just, you know, the commitment to overall defense and um, learning from your mistakes. I know game four, Ethan Bear had the bad turnover, which led to uh, the game tying goal late in the third period. You got to eliminate the mental mistakes. So I, I don't think it's so much physical, but I think it's kind of between the ears, you know, learning from those things, uh, you know, making the kind of boring play if you have to, if it's just rimming it out around the glass and, and not trying to force it up the middle, just being smarter in those types of situations. I think that's one thing they're going to they're gonna learn to do, and definitely it's going to come with age. There's still uh, a lot of the, the culprits of these mental errors are young players that are still learning, and they're going to learn from those things. Connor McDavid did the same sort of thing at one point as well, so it can happen to the best of them. So I think you clean up the mental errors, and uh, I'm sure maybe uh, maybe a little uh, – emphasis on cardio so you don't wear down towards the end of games that that might help too so before i say this uh no disrespect to mike smith he's had a great series <laughs> or he had a great he had a decent series and he had a great year all year he's one of the best goalies in the in the north division so no disrespect to mike smith but he can't be the plan going forward he's older you touched on it that he can't play he you can't rely on, rely on him to play 75 percent of the games and Miko Koskin, that $4.5 million contract, that's going to be a hefty. You might have to throw in a pick there and a few picks, maybe a prospect to move that contract or maybe just potentially a buyout with only one year left on his contract. So that leaves Stuart Skinner and like Alex Stalock. So that clearly can't be your plan going forward. So, so what is the plan for Ken Holland or what do you think should be the plan for Ken Holland? Yeah, I mean, as we have this conversation, I just quickly looked up uh, free agent goalies, and I don't know if you're you're going to lure Tuka Rasko to Boston. I don't know if you want an aging Pekarene, Frederick Anderson, maybe. It's it's a really good question, Jack. Like, and and that's one here in town when we're talking about the uh, the biggest priority in the offseason. A lot of people talk about the forward death, but for me, it's goaltending. And Mike Smith was awesome this year. Like, he he surprised a lot of people. I can tell you when he re-signed with the club last offseason my phone blew up. I've got a, you know, I'm from Edmonton, born and raised here. I've got a lot of friends who are just diehard Oilers fans and they couldn't believe that they brought him back again, uh, the contract that they gave him. And they all had to kind of eat crow on that one. It, he, he rebounded very strongly this year. And, you know, part of it probably goes to a, you know, a, a, maybe an overall commitment to defense on the team, but 
he also improved some things on his game. We kind of have a joke out here with the advanced stats and everything. For for Mike Smith, it was uh, tummy time on ice. How much is he laying on the ice, kind of just flailing around? And he really eliminated that from his game. So so I think he did get a little bit better. But I'm with you 100%. I, I think Mike Smith's back on a one-year deal. Ken Holland kind of alluded to that on the press conference. I guess they, they're kind of neighbors out in their summer homes in BC. So he said they'll have a conversation and and discuss that. I'm sure he'll get a little bit of a raise for what he did this year. He was very solid for the Oilers. But, you know, you, you just can't rely on him to play the bulk of the games right now. It, it would be too risky. Um, I mean, m- Mother Nature is undefeated. Injuries happen. We saw it actually at the start of this year, which... I think actually even might have benefited him just a little bit more. He missed the first couple of weeks of the season. Miko Koskinen had to handle the load and even uh, condensed his playing time even more. So when he got out there, yeah, he was refreshed, but you know, he was only playing what 40 something games. So I don't know exactly what the plan is. I don't think it's Staylock. I don't think it's Miko Koskinen. I really hope it's not Stuart Skinner. I, I think, you know, you'd be throwing him in there just a little bit too early. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Mike Smith back. Maybe they dabble in free agency Worst case scenario, Miko Koskinen's back for another year. And uh, there's a goalie on the Edmonton Oil Kings, uh, Sebastian Kosa, who a lot of fans out here are thinking might be the guy you, you select in the draft in the first round if he's still available. Uh, highly touted, probably represents Canada at the World Juniors this year. And I uh, hope that that pans out sooner than later because they don't have any a, a quick fix right now. It's it's just not out there. Yeah, like there's, I think there's two routes you can go, root routes you can go down. Uh, when it comes to goaltending. I think you can either try to get that starter, like a, I don't know, this free, like you said, this free agency class is not the greatest when it comes to goaltending. You're not going to lure Rask away from Boston. I think probably the best goalie in this class is like Dubnik, or not Dubnik, sorry, Grubauer or like Anderson. I, I could definitely see Frederick Anderson in Toronto or in Edmonton, just get him a new a new start, new fresh face. Cause he, he was clearly a great goalie, but he just lost it to Campbell. And I mean, he hasn't been healthy all year. So maybe that's what he needs. He needs just a fresh start. So Frederick Anderson clearly has been a great goalie for a long time or quite a few years now. So I could see them doing that, or I could see them doing, trying something like uh, along the lines of Columbus, where they have a one, a one B goalie, where they maybe rock with, um, a Mike Smith and then maybe pick up a Peter Morazic or a David Riddick or someone who's not like a superstar goalie, but could definitely play half, like half a season and succeed in Edmonton. So like, it'll be very interesting to see what Ken Holland, I like we touched on uh, many times. He has a very busy summer ahead of him. Yeah. And the Columbus one's a good, good one as well. I mean, if it's Corpus Allo or Smurslikens, whoever, you know, you might be able to lure away whoever the Blue Jackets maybe aren't as high on. I think that could be an option as well. Maybe you get a draft day trade or something like that. You don't have your second pick. Uh, you gave that away for Anthony Athanasiu last year, but uh, that that might be an option as well, looking out to Columbus. Yeah. Um, so another thing you might have heard of, there's this team from Seattle that's coming into the league. <laughs> um, that every team's going to have to protect quite a few players. And uh, who, who do you think is going to get the boot? Or who do you think? Um, Seattle will select when it comes to Edmonton. I think there's a lot of Oilers fans that would love it if they uh, were able to make something happen and, and make James Neal that guy who's selected. I think that would probably be uh, yeah, please a lot of people. You clear some salary cap, and you know maybe you, you get a veteran player out on that that roster for Seattle, kind of a journeyman. Um, you know what? It's going to be really interesting. We'll 
we'll see what happens with Nugent Hopkins and, you know, what does he sign after the fact? Uh, Adam Larson. I think it's going to be Caleb Jones. I, I think Caleb Jones, a uh, young defenseman, will be the guy that they'll leave open. They'll, they'll protect Ethan Bear, uh, Darnell Nurse, obviously. But I think when it comes down to it, Caleb Jones will be the guy that's selected by the Seattle Kraken. Um, he's probably going to be a bottom pairing guy. Uh, not someone that's going to be too heavily counted on, but I think the Oilers are in a pretty good situation where they're not going to be, you know, risking uh, losing a superstar by any means. Obviously they can protect the big names and uh, the younger players don't have to worry about. So I think it'll be Caleb Jones and we'll see what happens potentially, you know, we'll see with the health of Oscar Clefbaum, but if he's left unprotected, that might be a wild card as well. Like, you know, the, the upside there is outstanding. The risk is that he might never play in the NHL again due to the injury. So you kind of have to wait and see how that plays out as well. Yeah. I, um, on your James Neal point, like, I think that's best case scenario for Edmonton. I don't know. I don't know how plausible that is, but if we, if like Seattle could take them, that would be like a great scenario. I just don't know how much Seattle will love that $5 million contract. And if I do think they're going to take them, I think there could be a few picks going to uh, Seattle to coax them into taking a guy like James Neal. But uh, yeah, I think they'll probably go with like uh, Caleb Jones. Like it's not a crazy, crazy, uh, like a crazy, crazy pool of players just because there's so many free agents. So mm-hmm. I'm going to take a UFA obviously. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's going to be a crazy yeah, Caleb Jones, like, it's going to suck to lose him. But honestly, at the end of the day, it's not the worst thing in the world. You still have your top four. That's, like, set in stone. And then- Yeah, and, I mean, that would, yeah, like you said, that will leave you with uh, Darnell Nurse and, you know, whoever you're going to play up there with him, whether it's bringing back Tyson Berry. Uh, you've got Clefbaum and Larson, potentially, Ethan Bear. And then you've got some young guys coming up in the system with uh, uh, Evan Bouchard and uh, Philip Broberg. So, I think that might be be uh, an be one way they'd probably look. I like Zach Cassian is another guy who could be left exposed, but I don't think that you know he'd be too high on the Kraken's priority list. Uh, he's just been far too inconsistent in his career. I don't know if that's a guy you want to bring in. You might as well take a shot on a younger player who could actually grow. We know what Zach Cassian in is he he can be an impact player, but a lot of the time he can go silent. I think you might want to go younger here and hope for the best in a guy like Caleb Jones. And you know, geez, he he's got a pretty good. Uh, bloodline in his family his dad played in the nba popeye jones his brother seth one of the best in the nhl so you know if there's a guy who can develop and and learn some things from his family members potentially it is caleb jones yeah if he could turn out to be a seth jones man that would be a phenomenal (laughs) phenomenal pickup by seattle uh but yeah i think it's it's gonna be really interesting and i think i'm not sure how much uh, a lot of people are saying well the nhl gms are gonna be a lot smarter this year this time around because with vegas they fleeced a lot of teams like Florida, absolutely fleeced that team. But uh, I think they're going to be a lot closer. And I, I don't know how much they're I, – I think Seattle's going to still have a ton of, uh, ton of power when it comes to, like, just making deals with teams. So uh, it, it'll be really interesting to uh, see what they do. And back on the Oilers topic, another thing, another draft, uh, the NHL entry draft, they will have uh, 16 to 20, like, three, I believe somewhere in those picks so uh you said the goalie from the oil Kings, sorry yeah yeah sebastian kosa um like this guy's you know 17 18 years old six foot six like he he's built to be an nhl goalie and uh, i've had the fortunate opportunity to talk to a few scouts on my podcast and you know they just rave about this guy they think you know 
I know some teams shy away from taking goalies in the first round, but you select him, you, you, you don't worry about him for two or three years. And then you, you start to take a look and see how he's progressing. That's, that's kind of the, the route that I think I might look to obviously this year for the Oilers selecting where they will, like you said, we don't exactly know exactly where it will be yet. So you're kind of in a situation where I think you can draft a best player available. Uh, if Coase is there, then, then that's kind of where I would look to, but you don't have any glaring needs. You've got prospects uh, coming up through the system on the blue line. You've got some up front. The one you don't have is goaltender outside of Stuart Skinner. So I, I think if you can strengthen that position, that would be a good way to do it. The Oilers haven't taken a goalie in the first round since I believe Devin Dubnik. And, you know, he turned out to be one heck of a goalie. The Oilers just rushed him and, and almost messed it up. So I think that, you know, lesson learned from there. If you go goaltender, you, you be very patient. You don't rush the prospect, but uh, they, they do kind of have a luxury this year where I think that there's not a glaring need. You don't have to necessarily like in years past, uh, look at that defenseman who you need to grab and, and maybe you jump up and take him a little bit earlier than you should. I think you can draft the player who's best available. And that usually works out good for teams. I think of, you know, we just saw it in Winnipeg, Kyle Connor slipped pretty far. The jets take him a few years later. He's one of the best pure finishers in the NHL. So I think that's a kind of a good strategy for them to look to follow up in this upcoming NHL entry draft. So Edmonton doesn't have their second or third pick. Are you worried about that? Or are you just, eh, it doesn't matter, whatever. Uh, honestly, you know what? No, I'm actually not too worried about that. And yeah, you, you love to stock the shelves and have a lot of prospects in the system. I, I get that. But at the same time, you know, second, third round picks likely not going to be on this roster for a few more years down the road. And I think for now, the Oilers are entering win now mode. So, you know, you fill those spots with proven NHLers in free agency and take that route. Um, like I said, though, I mean, it's, it's not perfect. You, you're not going to be uh, turning your nose up on second and third round draft picks, but that's the reality they're in right now. Uh, they don't have them. I don't think there's any way they get them back. They're not going to be uh, selling off anyone right now for draft picks, in my opinion. And if they were, it would be late round picks, you know, your sixth or seventh rounders. So, yeah, I'm not too concerned by it. I think the, the holes that they would potentially look to fill with those uh, those draft picks, they'll just address it through free agency and, you know, try to find a 26 or 27 year old rather than a, a young kid. So uh, one of Edmonton's big free agents this year will be uh, uh, Kyler Yamamoto, who had a massive breakout year uh, this year. He played really, really well this year. I, I was really impressed of his just growth this year compared to like last year and years prior. Um, how, what do you think the ballpark is of what he gets this year? That's a good question. Yeah. I mean, he, he is an RFA, so no threat of him leaving or anything like that, but he, he did take a bit of a step back this year, like uh, two years ago when he was playing with dry style and Nugent Hopkins, uh, the, the people out here call it the dry line. And you know, they, they had a lot of success. They, they did some really good things uh, this year though. He kind of dropped off in his five on five, his playing style didn't change at all. I mean, the guy's relentless. He, he can be a kind of a pain in the, you know, what, because he does not stop the efforts always there. He draws a lot of penalties, but I don't think, uh, you know, the, the goal scoring is where the negotiations will, will probably really get going. Like your, your goal scoring dropped off. You weren't putting up a lot of points five on five. Don't really use you on special teams too often. So I don't think they're going to be willing to overpay too much. Um, probably a couple million. I, I think that might be the ballpark. A couple million dollars on maybe a two or three year deal. And then, you know, down the road, you kind of negotiate once again. And for Kyler Yamamoto, that puts money in his pocket, gives him some security for a couple of years. And, at the same time, uh, gives him a chance to put up some numbers and, and show how good he can be. And then in a couple of years, you renegotiate that contract and, and try to cash in there. But I don't think it's going to be too big of an issue. I think that, you know, Yamamoto will have to be pretty realistic here. 
and uh, I look at his production and that's kind of the way it goes in the, in the negotiation process. It's not going to be a fun one. I'm sure that's kind of, you know, slinging mud from both sides, but I, I'm not too worried about that one. I don't think they'll overpay. I think they'll keep him at a pretty reasonable cap hit and then lock him up for a few more years. And, you know, I, I like to see young guys get paid. I, I like to see it happen. So I, I hope that, you know, for a full year, he can play with a, a talented player like Leon Dreisaitl, you know, have those numbers rock it up and then, you know, get a nice little payday in a couple seasons. So now it goes on to the 35-point man, Nuge. What do you think he's going to get or the ballpark he's going to get? Uh, Jack, I, you're out in Toronto or Ottawa? I'm in Ottawa. You're in Ottawa. So are there players out in Ottawa where fans absolutely love them, but around the NHL people really don't care about them, you think? For the Senators, um, so I am a Leafs fan, but for the Senators, I uh, – I mean, players, uh, people love Kachuk, but I think he's also loved. He's pretty good. Well, yeah, I'll he's just, pretty phenomenal. Uh, I'll just say this. Ryan Nugent Hopkins is loved in Edmonton. Obviously, he was a first-round pick um, like a decade ago. He, he's been loyal to this team, never said a bad thing, and he's been a part of some really bad hockey teams. And a lot of people around here want Nugent Hopkins to be a part of if they ever get to it, a championship team. They want to see him stay with Edmonton. Uh, we've got a very popular blog out here called Oilers Nation. They print off shirts that say keep Nuge forever. He's loved in this town. But you do have to factor in the 35 points. And it was only 15 of those coming, five on five. Um, he was a guy that was drafted number one overall. We thought he might, you know, he had Pavel Datsuk type skill. And we just, it, it's kind of diminished. And his two-way game has improved 100%. I'll give him that. And, you know, you, you see glimpses of the creativity that he had when he was playing for the Red Deer Rebels. But to the people that are out there that want to give him, you know, six or 7 million a year, to me, that's just too much. I, I think you're, you're paying him too much uh, in the final couple of games of the Stanley cup playoffs here that we got a chance to see, you know, he was relegated down to a second line winger. Uh, Ryan McLeod, a young kid was playing center on that second line and he was forced to the outside. So I, I think, you know, you just have to look at him that way. I like Ryan Nugent Hopkins. I think that, you know, there's some skill there and I'm sure he'll bounce back offensively next year, but I, I don't know if I want to pay him more than five and a half, six. Like to me, that would be the max I can go. Obviously he's not going to get more than Leon Drysaddle, who makes $8 million a year. Uh, guys, you know, league MVP and Ryan Nugent Hopkins has to know that he's not, he's, he's a second or third line option at best this year. And uh, for me, I, I'm okay with the team bringing him back. I, you know, he can contribute on special teams. He's good on the PK uh, two way player. Like I said, good in the room, good leader, but you can't overpay. So if the negotiations get over $6 million and I'm Ken Holland, I'm probably walking away saying I can replace that for cheaper. I can bring in two players for that money. Good luck elsewhere. Get your payday. But I, I just you can't overpay for a guy like that. And my last question for you, um, do you have a prediction for the cup? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, you know what? If, I'll say this. If the goaltending holds up, I really like the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, you know, that we know their issue uh, – they brought in Dubnik to try to solidify that, give them a good backup. If the goaltending holds up, I really like the Avs. Nathan McKinnon, uh, the, that top line with Landis Skog and uh, geez, the name flips my mind right now. But Brandon. they're playing, sorry? Brantonen. and that's the one. Like, they're playing so good. They're, that's such a dynamic group that they have offensively. And then on the blue line, like, it's, a, it's unreal the roster that they've built up there. Obviously, Kale McCarr kind of steals the headlines there. They really didn't even need Nazem Kadri in that series against the, the Blues. So, you know, you don't worry about that. Hopefully, he, he figures it out. You're a Leafs fan. You know he plays on that edge. But I really like what the Colorado Avalanche are doing. And then 
you know, it, it'd be kind of cool to see if the Tampa Bay Lightning can go do it back to back. Like they, they've built that team to win for a few years. Uh, I know a lot of the traditional hockey fans aren't a big fan of what they did to kind of circumvent the cap and get, get Kucherov back for the playoffs, but that roster is loaded as well. So I like those two teams to come out of it. Only the boldest picks on the blue line report yeah. here. Yeah, you know, I really uh, go on an edge and uh, <laughs> throw those out there. But I, I mean, hey, I, I don't try to do things for shock value. I just got to give enough. you the truth and, and let you know what I think. I respect it. I respect it. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I had a great time. Yeah, Jack, I really appreciate this. And uh, tell Owen I say hi, and uh, I'm optimistic about his Oilers. Hopefully we turn it around soon. Will do. Awesome. And before we let you go, uh, do you want to plug the social medias and the podcast? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can, uh, Wolf, you just give me a follow on Twitter, at Connor Halley. That's where I promote most of the podcasts. It's the other Connor podcast, uh, new episodes every Tuesday and Friday. Uh, you can get them wherever you get your podcasts from, uh, Apple, Spotify, Google, iHeart, all those sorts of things. And uh, other than that, if you want to tune in, uh, hear more Oilers talk, TSN 1260. I'm a part of the Jason Greger show. We're on Monday through Friday from 2 to 6. You can tune in online. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And uh, we'll be right back with another segment of Hockey Talk. Welcome back to the show. Uh, I'm now going to be joined by Owen O'Kane for another segment of Hockey Talk. How are you doing, Owen? Pretty good. The Leafs are out. So, you know, that just added to my my good mood yeah we'll get to that we'll get to that so this is the first half of the show was a very oiler centric uh centric uh episode and now the back half as you can guess as owen alluded to this is gonna be a very leafs centric episode so uh before we start diving into the leafs i want to do some house cleaning so uh first off uh happy pride month to everyone in the lgbtq plus community we're so happy to be celebrating that here at the blue line report and uh happy pride month and i'd like to also apologize to us at the blue line report would also like to apologize for calling out team canada they picked it up and they just beat russia in overtime so like no way yeah they beat russia in overtime so like what do we know they, Russia doesn't lose a game all tournament in Canada. So, like, props to Canada, man. Bam, gold medal. Who got the OT winner? I have no clue, but I just got a message, a uh, notification, like, oh, Canada beats Russia, undefeated I'll, Russia. I'll check right now. I'll check right now. Good job. Um, is there anything else I need to cover on? Uh, oh, yes. Uh, so, obviously, this is coming out on a Thursday and not a normal Monday. So Okay, so... The reason we're coming out late on this one is because of the Leafs. And the Leafs. We wanted to we wanted to see what happened in the Leafs because as soon as the Leafs lost, that podcast was going to be out of date. Or as soon as the Andrew Leafs Man- won, Andrew Man- Andrew Mangiapane scored. Andrew Mangiapane scored from the Calgary Flames. So congrats, Mangiapane, and uh, go go Canada, go. Um, Troy Stetcher. Troy St- assisted by Troy Stetcher. Nice, lovely, beautiful. Um, but yeah, back to what I was saying, we're coming out on Thursday because, um, it, we needed to wait for the Leafs to play. Uh, cause this, like I said, the, this podcast would have been out of date by like a long time after that. And like Tuesday and Tuesday and Wednesday, I was just not in the mood to record a podcast or just talk about hockey at all. Like, you know, I, I was just not in that mood uh, to record a podcast or talk about hockey. So sorry about that. Um, so I actually tried to record like a message 
before I start this little, we're going to start talking about uh, beliefs. I tried to record like a video like five times actually. And it just, I couldn't do it. I, I said a lot of mean stuff and a lot of stuff I probably didn't mean. So like, that's why it took us a long, or it took me a long time to uh, come out with this just because I've been very angry and you know, it's just been, I didn't want to talk about hockey for a bit and I wanted to take my little two day break if that's fair to y'all. So, um, but yes, we will be coming back with an episode Monday, like normal. Uh, but yeah, that's why we're late on this one. So, um, Owen, you ready to start talking some Leafs? Yeah, I'm really ready. So Owen, do you want to give your first like shots? Just tear my team apart. Cause I like, let's be honest here. I tore your team apart. I you like Edmonton apart. So I tore it's Edmonton been... apart. So man, go ahead. <sighs> Let me just, this is the moment I've been waiting for. Go ahead, man. Okay. Montreal, the Canadians. You, you play the Montreal Canadians in the first round. Um, you take it to seven games. You take it to seven games, yes. But it's Montreal. They, they had a horrible season. They would, wouldn't have made the playoffs if they weren't in the Canadian division. Carey Price, yeah, he played lights out. But other than that, like, who else did Montreal have? And you've got Austin Matthews. You loaded up at the deadline. You got, like, a first, which is going to be, like, 17 now, which you probably would have liked to have for Nick Foligno, who's going to leave now. But you had him for didn't – didn't even play in the first round. He played two and, games, but continue. Okay, we'll play two games. Didn't contribute. Two or three, whatever. And I don't know. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna rip too hard because my team got swept. I don't have the right to be saying much. But something needs to change in Toronto. You choke a game seven every year. I don't know. Like I'm not saying this to be mean, but you need to do something because. Hey, I I, I get it. I I'm I'm completely on your board here, and I'm. Uh... I'm just going to clip this part right here because this is going up on the Instagram right now. So hello, Instagram. Uh, how's it going? Uh, so I've tried to, I've tried to make this, this video like five times and uh, I figured I'd just do it on the podcast right now. So I uh, just want to break down the Leafs loss and give a perspective of a diehard Leafs fan, a guy who's a person who's his very short tenure on this planet has seen five game seven losses, five of them, right? Five. No, we didn't go game seven, Washington. We went to Boston, three Boston, sorry. It counts as Columbus because it was only a five game series. So we'll count it. So four, maybe five, if you want to count Columbus. And then, I mean, Washington, but Washington, we were out of our league there. So five game seven losses. At least we got out early and didn't have to suffer losing in a game seven. Bro, I'm trying to give my, I'm trying to pour my soul out here. So like, okay, I'm about to pour my soul out. Okay, so I've seen like five game sevens from this team and they've broken my heart every single time. We haven't won a game since, we haven't won a round in like 6,000 days, I believe was the number. 17 years, it's just, not being good and like i don't know owen's raising his hand what's up owen 
if I may add something, I saw a really cool fact. And um, oh, what's the cool fact? You've you've won the same amount of playoff series as the Atlanta Thrashers in the past ten years. Um, yeah, <laughs> they don't even play anymore. All right, you have your you have your blows in. You have your yeah. I, in. All right, I just found that me. really funny. You're gonna let me pour my soul out now. <laughs> All right. Sure. Okay. So, uh, like I said, I've seen get five five game fives. Uh, Owen's giving me the choking sound, and yeah, we have choked off a lot of series. And uh, this year, I, I really want to focus on this year because, like, since obviously the year that just happened, and the most, I think every year I like I obviously want them to win, but like Boston, it was just I don't know if we can beat Boston, and we're not beating Washington. We're like, we'll have a good shot against Columbus, but if we don't lose, it's not like it sucks. Obviously every time it sucks, but it's not the end of the world. If we do this year was the year that we should have been the best team in the North division. We had a clear path to the North finals and we, we choked it away as Owen. So lovingly uh, showing me the signs of choking, uh, we choked that away. We had the three-one series lead, and we needed to put one in the coffin. We put it. We needed to put one nail, one more nail in the coffin, and we would have gone to the second round. Which I think we also match up really well against Winnipeg. And who knows? And after once you get to the top final four, who knows? I'd like to just win a round before that ever happens. But what what happened? I like it's really hard because. Every year we've known what was the problem. Uh, in years prior, it was our defense. Defense sucked, just not deep enough. So, okay, we can go in the offseason and improve our defense. Okay, last year, we weren't tough enough. We went in our uh, we went in the offseason, we got tougher. And this year, I just don't know what it is. I really don't know what to improve. There's it, I think it's more this year out of the first year that it's between the ears and not something that we need to improve. Our defense was phenomenal. Muzzin, Brody, Riley, all playing amazing. Riley had the best series I think I've ever seen him play. And um, Sandine and Sandine played. Okay. Uh, Dermot played. Okay. When he came in, Bogosian, every time he felt he was on the ice, it felt like a safety blanket was out there. I loved Hall. He played great. Our defense was phenomenal. We were tough. We, we're not going to um, – sorry about that, folks. Uh, of course, when I'm uh, just about to get on a rant, uh, technical difficulties come over us. But uh, anyway, where was I again? Oh, yeah, toughness. We didn't need to be the tougher team, but we were tough enough. You know, Felino, Bogosian, Simmons, everything, everyone. Uh, like, we were tough enough. Uh, our offense def- definitely didn't need it. Frederick Anderson has kind of sucked in game sevens prior. Campbell was phenomenal this year. Campbell had the as good as a save percentage as Carey Price did this series. Like, he was phenomenal this series. And, like, I really don't know what it is. Every year, there's something that we need. And there's something that you know we need. And this year, like, I don't know what it is. I... It's really hard to just like pin it down because Mark, like you can dissect it easily. Matthews Marner didn't show up. 
Uh, I thought Matthews showed up. I thought Matthews played decently. He played really well defensively this series. Uh, Matthews had a ton of shots. Just Carey Price just was all over him. Marner did not show up. He was not good this series. Hyman was not good this series. Did not show up. Tavares obviously injured in the first round, first game. What can you do about that? Complete fluke accident. Like one in a million chance of that ever happening again. But what can you do about that? Nylander played phenomenal. Uh, I he was a big bright spot of this series. I think uh, if Nylander doesn't have as good of a series as uh, as he does, we're talking about Nylander being traded right now. But thankfully, he's not going to get traded. Uh, he was our best player this series, other than Jack Campbell. So it's our top four. We're silent, basically, other than Nylander. And, like, we relied on Spezza too much. Jason Spezza played phenomenal, and we relied on him too much. There's just so much that went wrong between the ears, between our top, I'm going to be honest here, our top two. Marner and Matthews are the reason we lost this series. They show up. We're not having this conversation. They show up. We are talking about how we're going to go beat Winnipeg in round two or how we're going to plan to go beat Winnipeg in round two, but we're not because Matthews and Marner, our two biggest players, didn't show up. And now this has me questioning, uh, like, Owen, I want to get your opinion on this. Are we, is this, like, is this the plan moving forward? Are we supposed to go with Matthews and Marner or, like, can we not trust them? I know everyone's saying, like, Keep them together, Matthews and Marner. They're good. You, we're gonna run with it. Like it's like it's a team thing. I don't think so anymore. Like you said, you got tougher. You got better defense. You did everything, and you were set up to win this year, and you lost. Like that's where something needs to change. I say, if you trade someone, it's Marner. And I say, I don't know who you get for him, but like you just get a bunch of assets to help you win. Like. You did everything right and you lost. That's just a sign that you need to shake things up a little, you know? I just... Like, how do you suggest we... Like, let's say you take Marner. Let's say you want to trade him. Now, Dubas has said he doesn't want to trade him. And quite frankly, I don't really want to trade him off of one bad series. But let's... Hypothetical right here. Who do you trade for Marner? Um, Like, what do you want to get back in return? Uh, I would... You probably need a prospect in there, I'd say. Just okay, but not a not Toronto's, a. Toronto's not a team building for the future. Toronto's. I know. A team I know. You don't want to. You don't want a blue chip prospect one for one, but you, you want a decent prospect just so you can, okay. you know, have that. I say, maybe a New York Rangers type thing. You know. You know. Everyone's saying Kako for Eichel. I don't see Kako for Marner one for one. No, maybe, it's not happening. Kako's not even in the realm of Marner. Yeah, maybe Kako a first, Brett Howden. Uh, if you take, you no. Know, um, yeah, see, like, I, that's the difficulty. Like, Marner is way too. Marner versus Abenajad. No. Kako Howden. And a second. Kako, Zabanajad. Like, Zabanajad. Zabanajad has 25% retained. Zip, okay, but Sabanajad's what our third line center now? But he put Tavares yeah, like, on the wing. I'm just Sabanajad's not our need. Uh, Kako, he's 
he's fine, but like he's not gonna fix us. Like I don't know, like I don't know what else you can do though. I'm just trying. Yeah, yeah, no, I get. Trying to make value work out, but like it's not what you need. What What do you think Toronto needs? What What do they need? I, like you said, it's really tough because the two untouchable players on this team sucked, and everyone who was on the chopping block did really well. The, the guys before the series, if I said one guy had to go, I was either going Nylander, Riley, or, like, yeah, Nylander and Riley oh, were two guys. Okay, Riley was one. phenomenal. Riley was phenomenal. And Nylander was phenomenal. Sorry, go ahead. What were you – what's your trade? Marner to Columbus for Seth Jones. No. But Columbus no. re-signed Seth Jones. And – um. You get, let's, yeah, Columbus Sorry. re-signs them and then retains the salary. No. Marner for Not Jones, Gavrikov. No. A first and a second. No. no. I don't know what else you need. It's another high-end defense. Like, I really. Seth Jones, we don't need another defense. Like I really can't pinpoint what Toronto needs. Yeah, they, Marner doesn't need to be traded. That's what I think is happening. Marner can't Yeah, well. If if he, I just think someone big needs to move, be moved on from who? Out of the big four, Tavares didn't play the series, so you're not trading him. Neil yeah. played phenomenal. He was our best skater. Uh, Matthews, you're never trading him unless you get McDavid back. You're not trading him. Uh, or Drysdale? No, not even. One for one, Drysdale's for dry. One for, for Matthews is an unfair deal for Trump. One for one, Matthews for McKinnon. No. I'd take that. No, I don't. I say McKinnon's better. Matthews is two years younger. Two years younger. Okay. Well, anyway. I don't take it. But anyways, yeah. That's, we're not trading Matthews. That's the point. Uh, I, I could see... Marner, like, like, who do you trade him for? Unless you're getting a another all-star back. There's no all-stars on the market right now. Unless... Like Marner for Patterson, but Vancouver doesn't do that. No way. Vancouver. I know Marner for Patterson and say Di Pietro. So you have a good goalie prospect. Sure. Like I think Toronto would do that deal, but I don't think Vancouver ever gets rid of. Like Marner is a franchise player on literally any other team without McDavid, McKinnon, or Matthews. Yeah. Exactly. So. Going to Vancouver is a franchise player coming back. But Vancouver doesn't give up their franchise player. That's what I'm saying. Like Marner, any deal for Marner, Toronto loses. Unless you're getting back a top five player, any deal for Mitch Marner, Toronto loses. And that's why I don't think you should trade him. Uh, I think it's kind of dumb to talk about. He's the only one you can really trade though, right? Like you're not going to trade Matthews. He's untouchable. You're not going to trade Taveras. He's your captain. Of course. You can't defense. trade him. You're not going to trade Morgan Riley. He's your best defenseman. And that's where I that's where I pause. I think if anyone's to go in the top five is Riley because he's Morgan gone. Riley in a second for Seth Jones. I don't love it. I don't love that deal, but like you're maybe. shaking things up a bit though. Yeah. No. Maybe. Hey. Like I think. I think maybe you move on from Riley. I think if anyone's to go, I think it is more Mo because coaching change. Okay, sorry. I want to I want to talk about that. So for anyone saying Brendan Shanahan should be fired, 
Brandon Han Shanahan is the reason we're here. So no, that's dumb. Uh, Kyle Dubas is the best GM in the NHL. Currently, I believe he is by far the best GM in the NHL. Is that a is that a dumb statement? Am I out of my mind? Uh, second he's done in a small maybe who's, who's the first? Maybe second, third, best. I'd say he's in the top three. He's in the top three. I'll give you that. Okay, first fine. is definitely Iserman. Iserman. Really? What's he done he, in Detroit? What's he done in Detroit? Or sorry, not in Detroit. Uh, Tampa Bay is GM. Um, who is it? It's uh, I know. This I don't one. know his name, and that team wasn't built. That team was built by Iserman. Yeah, exactly um, why I say Iserman. Then ah no, I think Dubas is okay. If he's not one, he's top three. Dubas is yeah. not going anywhere. He's a phenomenal GM, and I think he is shouldn't go anywhere. Keith. Now the thing with Keith is I really liked him. I thought he played did well this year. I think the primo thing that happens is Keith goes to an assistant coach, and we bring in a guy. Oh, I heard this thing, Joel Quinn. Gerard or, Gallant. I could see Gerard Gallant coming here. I also think him going to Montreal, but now they. They probably have full faith in Ducharme. And, like, right now we're just spitballing ideas for what Toronto could do. But um, maybe Gallant, Gallant, I heard, not Joel Quinville. Uh, I like him. I think he yeah. got fired for no reason in Vegas. They were doing perfect. Yeah. And out of the blue, they're like, we're going to hire our rivals coach because they fired him. I think he deserves a chance in Toronto. Yeah, I think, yeah, maybe if that happens. or He like, does an assistant. Keith as an assistant is perfect, but I doubt that ever happens. And I'm fine with him staying as the our coach. He's done really well. I think maybe you move on from Matthews Marner or you change it up for that series because it clearly wasn't working. Uh, that's the only reason I'm a little worried with him is Matthews Marner Hyman did not work all series and he didn't change it. He didn't change it at all. So I, I don't know what – I'm yeah, not fully confident in that, but Keith, I think he has to stay here. So it has to be a player movement. I think Riley goes for what? I have no clue. Prospect. Another defenseman, at least. Of course, another defenseman. If you're replacing Mo, you got to bring in another guy. But um, Edmund for Riley, one for one. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sure Tampa would take that deal. <laughs> <laughs> and like even then Morgan Riley played phenomenal in this series like this is his best series as the Toronto Maple Leafs so like it's really hard uh, to tell <sighs> am I wrong in saying that I Toronto's been this is the second time Toronto got screwed over by the salary cap first time was when they implemented the salary cap Toronto that's why Toronto sucked for so many years at least in the 2000s is because they implemented the salary cap. So Toronto's strategy every year was to, sorry. Sorry, let me take a breath there. <laughs> uh, but Toronto's strategy every year was to trade a first round, first round pick to a team to get a veteran to go for a playoff run. And that was Toronto's, that was Toronto's strategy every year. But as soon as the salary cap came in, we were so over the salary cap because we just had a bunch of uh, heavy rollers, uh, like, heavy money guys, veterans on the league. So we had to let all of them go and we didn't have any first round picks. So we sucked. And that's why we got screwed over by the cap. And now, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. But this year, how'd you get screwed over this year? The Shanna plan. 
why Dubas and Lou Lamorello signed those contracts was because, yeah, everyone hated those three contracts at the time. Three $11 million players, that's never going to work. But if the cap kept going up, you know, those were going to look like $8 million contracts by the time they're done in four or five years. Okay, but like... That was going to look good. And of course, everyone got screwed by the cap this year. Of course, it's COVID. I get that because I because of COVID and the cap's not going to go up. The cap was planned to be like around 90 million by the time those three contracts were done. That was the projections for a lot of people. So 11 million dollars looks pretty bad, but it, when you add another 10 mil to the cap, it looks a lot better. That's three and a half, what three and three million to each contract. So that's three million dollars in value to each contract. So it worked and that's why that they made those deals and we got screwed like out of all the teams that got screwed over we got screwed over the most cap's not going up for for the foreseeable yeah i can see that but like i don't really i don't i don't think it's that you didn't get screwed over that much because you're well you still have yeah, but you still have Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and $11 million contracts. Those are pretty reasonable for two superstar franchise players. Yeah, you know? and Tavares. And Tavares. That means, I mean, that's and- that's $30 million tied up. Oh, by the way, Tavares is an eh player. He's phenomenal. He's a No, he's not an eh player. I just... He's a superstar. He's a $10 know. million dollar player. The games I watch, he doesn't play very good. Maybe maybe I just bring him bad luck. I don't know. <laughs> he's a ten million dollar. I should watch as a, as a Leafs fan. I can tell you, he's a ten million dollar player. Uh, but thirty million dollar contract, thirty million in an eighty million cap situation. If that thirty mil looks a lot better in ninety mil cap than it does in eighty mil cap, then that's just you know, just, of course it does. So that, that's why I think Toronto kind of got screwed over. I mean, every team got screwed over in some capacity, but. Do we have a question of the week? Uh, yeah, but we'll get to that later in the show. I was just wondering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got a question of the week. Uh, but anyway, like, are we just. Like, what do we do? You know, like we were screwed when it comes to the cap. You did everything right and you didn't win. Like, yeah, like Tampa Bay for a while. I really but don't. Do we like, run it back? A rebuild? That's a bit much. No, 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 not a rebuild. Do you just run oh. it back with the same team? Let's do it no. again. Something's got to change. You lost in seven. Why not? Montreal. You just said we did everything right. Why not run it back? Because you didn't win. You got to change something. Just maybe. It, That's it what Tampa did. That's what Tampa, that's 100% what Tampa did. Got uh, swept, actually. They got swept. Yeah. And next year, they ran it back with the same team and uh, oh, they won the cup. Okay. So you either Let's run it back or I say you go and you sign, you sign like a full line of depth players. So center, left wing, and a right wing. And hear me out on my reason. Hear me out on my reason. All right. Let's hear it. They don't have to be better than Angbald and Galchenyuk in them. You have them. They push Angvald and them to become better players so they don't take their roster spots. And then it pushes everyone because Angvald and them are getting better. You know, I just think it pushed the team. And if someone goes down, you have really good depth. That's what I would try. You know, get little chippy depth signings, like a physical player here, 
little skilled player there. Like, I don't know. Like, I really don't know. So my, my critique with that is with what money? <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's just, like, what I'm saying. Like, I know, but you could sign, money? like, you could sign, like, probably three $750,000 contracts. Can you afford yeah. that? Yeah. We're, it can be we're tight to the cap, man. We're spending right to the cap. I know. It could, it could be players. We have to re-sign Hyman, and we have to re-sign Hyman. Hyman's going to... Hyman's gonna go. I I think he's gonna go. He can't go. Hyman and is our Hyman's our glue, and he he's has gonna to go to Edmonton. Edmonton. He's gonna go to Edmonton. Not going to Edmonton. It's he's not going to Edmonton with with what money in Edmonton? We're buying out Koskinen. No, you're not. Yeah, we are. The GM of our team came out and said we're looking to bring back Mike Smith. Okay, that's a and plan. little sidetrack here. That's a dumb plan. Don't bring back Mike Smith. That's a dumb plan. As a backup goalie, I've heard, like, a bunch of people talk about buying out Koskinen, signing a goalie like Frederick Anderson. He's coming to Edmonton. Oh, yeah, Freddie, you had a phenomenal season this year, eh? Is that your point? Still better than Mike Smith. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> exactly. And Mike Smith, Mike Smith, Smith, Smith. Is still a good backup goalie. Come on, we run with that. We have better goaltending. You know, we get a bit better depth this off season. Like, I don't know, sign some uh, Adam Lowry like players, and I know he's locked up, but like sign players like Adam Lowry, some physicalness with Zach Ronaldo, like some some physical players, and I think Edmonton to, can do good. But I don't know. All right, cool. Well, that's a little Edmonton sidetrack for this episode. Um, I want to touch on something that I think has been gone really under the radar. Um, I, I believe it was Kristen Schilt. It was either James Myrtle or Kristen Shilton who came out with this on Twitter. Both great follows if you're a Leafs fan or just a hockey fan in general. They're the Leafs insiders for the Athletic and uh, TSN respectively. respectively. Um, so both go, go give them a follow on Twitter. They're great followers. Um, but... Uh, they one of them came out with um, something that said uh, Felino's been dealing with this knee injury all year, and that Toronto was not aware of this at the deadline. Oh, okay. Columbus. Felino or Columbus screwed us. It's not Felino's fault. He found out he got traded, and then yeah, okay, he, then Columbus screwed us. Yeah, he probably should have told your team, but Columbus screwed you for a first-round pick, and you could – oh, okay. That, I'm not a Leafs fan. I hate the Leafs. I want to see them do bad, but that makes me mad. That doesn't belong. That's stupid. I think right. if that's actually true, the league should give Toronto their first back. Like, I think – could the league do that, like give their first back? Uh, I don't know, but like I feel like there should be a repercussion for this because like or they forfeit their like fifth overall, sixth overall pick this year. Uh, maybe because they didn't disclose an injury. Now it's probably somewhere in the contract that they they're allowed to do that. But if it's not, a little commercial writing where it's like the yeah, smallest exactly. thing. It's exactly. only ants can read it. It's a like fine print. Well, head fine. may explode when eating this product. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah may cause coronavirus like <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly but you're really like, stupid is and then the guys who go on really fast and say it and they <laughs> just... 
Uh, but they completely screwed our team. They if it's true, team. if it's true. By the way, I'm not too sweat. I'm not too mad about that first round pick. Who's that first round pick going to be? If it turns out to be a good player, good for seventeen. Team. It could fall to Wallstead. It could be the six foot six goalie prospect Sebastian Kosa, who's oh, going yeah. to Edmonton. two goalies. You know how much I love me and Edmonton. Uh, me and Owen had this great. Oh time. my God! Yes. Okay, Sebastian, we're bringing this on now. We're bringing Let's this up. This was going to actually be my uh, question of the week. So let me boom, boom. question of the week. Uh, is drafting goalies in the first round a good idea? Yes or no? Go ahead. Edmonton. Yes. Uh, give yeah. me more than that, or is that it? Okay. That's I think you choose the best player on the board, whether it's a goalie, whether it's a center, whether it's left wing, whether it's a defense. You pick the best player on the board. You pass on the best player in the board, and he turns out to be a great player. He looks stupid. You look like an idiot. I say you take a goalie at number one or number 256. Wherever he's ranked on your draft charts, you take him because, yeah, goalies – can like have higher uh, bust rates but and they take they take a while to come but like that's just what happens with goalies defensemen take a while to trans and in, transfer into the nhl i just think taking goalies in the top 10 there's no problem with it as long as you've done your research on the player and you are you're happy and you think they're going to turn out good you take them like this year at number 1 let's say Buffalo takes Jesper Wallstead. I know that's like like in, in absurd. It's not gonna happen. But it's not gonna happen. But let's okay. So, sorry. Okay. So let's say D- Detroit takes Wallstead at six. They need a goalie. They think he's good enough. They take him. If he's that high on their draft chart, you take him. You take a goalie. Florida took Spencer Knight at thirteen. Look at that. He won six games in a row to start to start his regular season. Most by any. Youngest goalie to do so. Like, it's just, you just got to do it. So, uh, as you can clearly tell, I'm against drafting uh, goalies in the first round or at least top 10. Because I feel like a top 10 pick should be able to come in, ideally should be in your lineup that, that coming September, if not the following September. Majority of the time, majority of the time, and I know people will bring up, well, this goalie actually played the year after. But you can't name two of those examples. Owen. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury. Marc-Andre Fleury. Okay. Who else? Ten goalie. You should 10. be able to name it off the top of your head. I could name Marc-Andre Fleury. DiPietro. DiPietro came in right away. Austin I- Matthews. Uh, Mitch Marner. Tim Stutzel. Alexi Lafreniere. Literally every other top five player i did your thing though i mean what i named two so that should prove something it's clearly the exception and not the rule and if you know what that means uh don't make it a rule that you have to pick a goal no 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 no, no. No, do you get i get i know i get what you're saying just like if he's if he's like top on your goal Let's say Toronto has the first overall pick and there's a phenomenal goalie prospect, like phenomenal. He's like, nope. He's like amazing. Next, Marc-Andre Fleury playing out of his mind. Do you draft him? No. You let him go to second, even though he's by far, every scout has him as the best player. You let him go to second just because he's a goalie. 
I have a question. For you. So this is a good example for you. I think that's turn your, and this will turn your uh, uh, your thoughts against you. So who's Edmonton's no, best won't. prospect? Who's Edmonton's best prospect? Dylan Hallway. Dylan Hallway, great pick. He was drafted what, 12, 13? We got him. 12, 13, know. 14. Somewhere around there. Yeah, somewhere in the late 10s. So before that pick, Nashville got to pick uh, Yaroslav Askarov. Yep. So Yaroslav Askarov is not the top prospect in Nashville's system and was drafted earlier than Dylan uh, Mac, no, Dylan Holloway. Dylan Holloway is his name. Sorry. Yep. I get him confused with Mac Hallwell from the uh, Toronto Marlies. Go Marlies. Uh, Dylan Holloway. Uh, is by far your best prospect. And when do you think he'll come in the lineup? Next year? I think he, I think he could crack it next year if he if he's given he a chance. Next year? And if not, then he's definitely making it the next year. I am putting and down a million dollars right now. I will sell I like if I'm a homeowner, I would sell my house, take that money and put it down on Askarov, not getting a single start next year. Yeah. And Hallway has a really good shot at making that lineup. What were you yeah. about to say? What were you about to say? I say goalies take longer to. Like, That's why you take them in the later rounds because later round picks, uh, take a lot longer to uh develop when they do. Yeah, it takes a well. long time for some goalies, but they just. But then it's like. But then starting goalie. But like, for a team that wants to get out of the gutter right now, not in five years. Now. It doesn't take five years. I say. Two, three years. Three. Okay. A team wants to get out of the gutters. Do you not think Buffalo wants to get out of the gutters now? And I think Buffalo could have Carm David and Jack Eichel and still be a dumpster fire. Okay, true, 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 true. <laughs> but do you not think a pro- a team that's in the dumpsters uh, doesn't wants to be good or wants to have hope next year? Well, because I can tell you, yeah, maybe the team, maybe the team likes them, maybe the team. I, I can guarantee you who will will rather a guy who cracks that day one lineup rather than a lineup in four years. The fans. And especially for a lot of dumpster teams, or that's kind of rude. Want to know what teams in the bottom of the league. Fans matter. And fans really matter when your team's in the bottom league, unless you're like Toronto, because you can sell out, like they could lose every game and they sell out every game. But that's like, Again, the exception to the rule. Uh, that team, um, that team's probably lacking on fans. Take example, the Arizona Coyotes or the Ottawa Senators. The Ottawa Do not Senators. think if they drafted Askarov last year, Ottawa would still not have that blue chick prospect. Well, Ottawa shouldn't draft Askarov because of all the goalie prospects they already have. Again, an example. I'm not saying it in real life, but fans would be a lot more excited to have a Tim Stutzel than an Askarov on their team. I'm just saying. In three years, they might like it down. But the fans matter a lot, especially to uh, bottom feeder teams. That's why you draft a forward in the top ten. Well, and yeah, Arizona shouldn't draft a goalie because well, it, it, I get I get that. They need fans. I mean, they're in the middle of the desert. You have to <laughs> – you have to bring like a pack of water bottles from Ikea just to get down to the arena because it's so hot. You just drive through the desert roads. But like, if a goalie turns out to be a star player, you take him. He's your money drawer. Like, 
I don't know. I'm no, just no, no. He's your you're not budging drawer. my opinion. I'm not budging yours. He's your money drawer in three years. Yeah, that's the problem. Your okay, forward, okay, your stud forward could be your drawer this September. He's your drawer in three years, and that's the problem. And that's why I don't think goalie should be taken in the first round. But that's just my opinion, and what do I know? Uh, and on that note, I think we're gonna end the podcast. Uh, thank you so much, Owen, again for coming out. Uh, do you remember what your Instagram is so we can plug it, or do you not have no clue? Um, my Instagram is. Oh, I got it right here. Uh, go follow Owen at uh, at Owen nine seven three five nine, the weirdest uh, username ever. Uh, and go follow me at jbailey23 on Twitter, Instagram, all platforms. Um, and uh, go give us a follow at the blue line, blue underscore line underscore reports on Instagram and our Twitter at blue line with JB. Appreciate it so much. Thanks to Connor Halley for coming out. Uh, we really appreciate it. And uh, we will see you next Monday when we actually go back to a, uh, to a normal schedule. So that's going to be it for this episode. Go rate us on uh, Apple podcast and we'll see you next week. Ah, they do this every year. They do this every year.